we will look at this morning's newspapers and with me in studio to go through them. John Lee, who's the political editor of the Irish Mail on Sunday. Lee's Hand, who is a columnist with the Times Irish Edition. And Mark Hennessy, who is news editor with the Irish Times. I think I treaded that minefield well. Did I get it right? I did. Very good. Let's go on to the front pages then. The Sunday Times uh, leads with that opinion poll uh, on the far left. Sinn Féin overtakes Fine Gael as second in polls. Sinn Féin has climbed four points to overtake Fine Gael for the first time as the second largest party, according to a Behaviours and Attitudes survey. Buoyed by a successful performance in the Northern Ireland Assembly elections earlier this month, Jerry Adams' party has climbed to 23% in the Republic, its highest ranking yet in that series. The increase means the party is six points above its 17% that it had last January. Their main story, though, Fenley Probe finds improper Garda conduct. And I had completely forgotten that the Fenley Commission was still going um, because they had initially reported back on, on what had happened to Martin Callanan. But, uh, of course, that was only one of the things they were investigating, the other being recording of telephone calls in Garda stations. And John Mooney has seen a draft report, by all accounts, by Niall Fenley, the judge who examined whether recordings of Garda telephone calls in Cork indicated wrongdoing by officers who investigated the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. And, indeed, that draft report accuses some Garda of improper conduct. The report stops short, though, of finding uh, unlawful behaviour happened, however. And there's another yarn about the guards on the front page. Uh, Guard the protection duty at Leinster House are claiming a subsistence allowance, which is easier to get than say, uh, for working more than 3.22 kilometres from their station. So that's grand, except, of course, that they are based at Pier Street, which is less than 3.22 kilometres and the uh, Sunday Times tells us it is a mere kilometre away. So they'd have it done in a trot in under 30 seconds if they got a good run. And the Sunday Business Post, Bankers Bonanza. Ian Guider writes, advisors on the sale of part of the taxpayer stake at AIB are in line to pocket fees running up to €40 million Euro as new details emerge about the huge pay bankers are receiving at other state lenders, permanent TSB and Bank of Ireland. Nothing gets the blood going like bankers' salaries, even on a Sunday morning when we should still. be enjoying. Still, it's up there. Uh, AIB sale advisors in line for €40 million payout. 190 Bank of Ireland senior executives share €54 million. PTSB's top bosses earn combined €12.3 billion, hence the bonanza that uh, is written about in the headline. And they're a little cheeky with their top story by Colette Sexton. Russians to invade Trump's Irish resort. Up to 100 wealthy Russians will descend on Donald Trump's luxury resort in Doonbeg County, Clare, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. The Business Post has learned that the group of oligarchs and their large entourage plan to stay in the US President's Hotel and march in the St. Patrick's Day parade in Ennis. An oligarch in a parade in Ennis. We're a long way from the floats that we would have seen and stood and shivered at in years looking by. Um, Sunday Independent. Cut taxes for Brexit strategy, says Donoghue. Ministers pitch for Noonan job. Uh, he want to get his skates on, though, considering he mightn't get a chance to, to take that role before the change of government. Uh, the government must cut tax or it risks losing jobs to other countries in the wake of Brexit, according to Pascal Donoghue. Writing in today's Sunday Independent, the minister says workers should not be forced to hand over half of their income to the state when they are earning relatively low wages. In an intervention ahead of the forthcoming Fine Gael leadership, Mr Dunhu insists the marginal tax rate needs to be lowered if Ireland is to remain an attractive destination. Uh, and they also, Samantha McCochran has that story as well about post offices there. Unpost 
is expected to seek the closure of more than 200 post offices and the co-location of many more to convenience stores in a radical restructuring plan. Decisions be made... Um, oh, there's a typo on that. We've spotted a typo on the front page. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Sunday Independent. <laughs> Decisions be made as early as summer. Decisions uh, presumably could be made as early as summer as unpost management battle losses. That that normally will result in somebody going, ah, crap, I left out a word. Um, and the Mail on Sunday, reckless is their headline, and we'll talk to John Lee about this in just a moment. Tusla castigated for sending insensitive letters to child abuse victims 16 years after victims made allegations to Gardaí. And we have John Lee, who wrote that story with us in studio. John, talk us through this. These were people who had reported to Gardaí that they had been abused in institutions. Yes, um, Mannix is one of the people who went on the record. Mannix Flynn. Mannix Flynn, he um, was is a well-known campaigner uh, on this issue, having been through, unfortunately for him, through a few of these industrial schools um, down the years since he was a very a young child. The, the when. I think it was the RTE documentary States of Fear 1998 set off a number of investigations into the religious orders and by 2000 they came to Mannix uh, the Gardaí there was a special unit set up to investigate some of the allegations against principally Christian brothers and they interviewed him now what they wanted to do was um they had compiled some information and they wanted to corroborate quite a bit of it. They didn't necessarily need him to appear in court. If that point came, they would come back to him. Uh, two brothers were convicted on some of the evidence that Mannix was able to assist them on and others weren't. Uh, and and that was that. Now, the facts are, are, are striking enough, but I think it's, I suppose, to, to talk to Mannix and you may have him in the studio sometime soon. Mm. When you see the... the, the these old feelings and these old experiences being dragged up again it, it's, well, I mean, they, it, they it lived is striking a terrible terrible ordeal and and like everything that happens in life you want to put that kind of thing behind you as best you can yeah one wonders how how you deal with it but um you know Maddox <coughs> has had troubled times himself anyway 16 years down the line uh, um he opens up a letter with and again one has to see the letter the, this um the name of one of his alleged abusers is across the top of the page in, in bold ink and we're writing to you about such and such the cold hard language used in the letter indicates to me as a reader of the of the of the um, document as a box ticking exercise and again that diminishes the the victim or the survivor in that their experiences have been first of all thrown around an office uh, with people they've never met people they've never seen people they haven't given license they feel to to look at their information it's then thrown on a page and there's very stark legalistic language used throughout so, the letter and extra- extraordinary Wh- steps Why are they doing this 16 years after the complaint was made to Gardaí? You, you say it, it smacks of being a box ticking exercise. Is it, could it possibly be the Tuslas just getting around to this now? Well, Firstly, I offer Tusla the, the opportunity to explain this to me in, in, in less legalistic language and they didn't do so really. They, they, they responded to it and it's, it's referring to legislation that allows them to do this and requires them to do it. Again, I go back to the feelings of the person at the centre of it that how he describes it is a, a letter comes out of the blue in the post 16 years down the line. It's dealing with first of all information that he did not believe 
or, or, or did not understand had been passed to another organisation. Um, of course, they're, they're acting within what they believe are their their duties. I don't I, I don't know. And again, I'm putting myself in the in, in the, the place of an organisation that hasn't quite adequately explained to me why they did it. Um, I can only assume that they feel they have to go to every victim that comes through their comes through their organisation and, and, and approach them. There have also been years, stories. Sixteen years. So that's that's the, the fair enough. If they did this when the report had been made, but I mean, what benefit is there coming back sixteen years later? Well, one looks at it as a, a reporter and go right. Maybe um, this is how um, it has to be done. Maybe from from Tusla's point of view and the Garda's point of view, and then you look at it as a, as a human being, and one wonders can it not be done in a in, in a different fashion, like. If one gives a sworn testimony and statement to the Gardaí, is that not requisite for whatever um, um, objectives you have? They stress that this is about child protection, that the person, and be careful what I say about the person at the centre of the letter, that the person may be in contact with children and they're now in the person 2016 as in the, named, the, named as in the, the alleged per- per- yeah. perpetrator. And they are concerned about the welfare of children. Therefore, they want to interview Mannix or other and, and other five or six victims we know um, were also given these documents about their experiences with this person. It then says at the end of the letter, this letter, when you look at the humanity, humanity of the situation, arrived at uh, an old address of Mannix's in Kerry. And at the end of it, it says, this was, I think, arrived on the 17th of November 2016. It says on the 1st of December, uh, if you could come up to Selbridge um, Community Centre and have a chat with two named uh, women, social workers from our institution. So they sent the letter out 16 years later to addresses where somebody might not live. But in again, look at, look, look at the people involved. Many of these, ma- many of these um, poor, unfortunate young boys, as they were, suffered grave trauma. They, a lot of them have alcohol problems, drug dependency. They have psych- psychiatric issues. Many of them may be from deprived backgrounds and continue to live in deprived situations. You and I, and maybe the people in the studio, <laughs> look at something like this. Actually, you know, you jump in your car and you drive to you drive to Selbridge, but getting from Kilorglan in in Mid Kerry, South Kerry, to Selbridge for a person who may be in that situation in their sixties or seventies at this stage, with all the problems they may suffer, is not an easy task either. So you know, the, it's that kind of thing. Mm. It doesn't strike you maybe as a, a well paid or you know fortunate individual in, 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 in life that these people have to face and it struck me as a, as a shocking as a shocking piece of correspondence to get for anybody and we, we think Lise when Tusla which is a new organisation that is relatively what a couple of years old only um, they, they've had a torrid time of late they, we, they, we look what happened with Grace which would have happened a lot under the HSE's watch as the, as the precursor to Tusla um, we even go back as far as Tume when the health services and the, and the council were, were involved uh, and of course Tusla took over that role eventually as well in terms of social service they have a lot of historical baggage that they're trying to deal with and, and maybe is it a learning curve for them as well that they're not quite getting right well I think there's a steep learning curve going on 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 many fronts and many levels. I mean, just sort of as a even as I suppose a, a side or a, a parallel issue. There's an interesting piece by Justine McCarthy in the Sunday Times today where she she talks through the process of putting together the the, um, the terms for the commission on into Grace, and it's a very interesting read because it just sort of 
shows how close the terms were, that would have been agreed would have been so narrow that it would have just literally dealt with Grace and not the other other 46 cases that uh, also lay claim to, to being investigated. And when you look to the process, you know, it involved a dull debate, somebody realising that these were very narrow, the original whistleblower kind of going, well, look, that means everyone else is going to be excluded. A big kerfuffle at the last minute, an amendment put, put in, an amendment withdrawn, a, you know, an incorporeal meeting of the Cabinet to decide to actually widen the, the terms of agreement. And all this was done at a scramble. And but they shouldn't, it shouldn't have been done at a scramble. It shouldn't have been done at a scramble. But this is the whole point, is everybody seems to be just trying to either cover their, cover their rears or else try and deal with the enormity of what's going on. And there seems to be no kind of coherent and cohesive plan in place in, you know, to deal with this. And we, every day we can see that the scope of this is expanding and widening. And there seems to be no overarching person who wants to say, look, let's, t-, you know, the Taoiseach can stand up and make all the pretty speeches mm. he likes in, in the doll. But uh, there's still this feeling that nobody is taking control of this whole thing and is saying, right, you know, we ha- we need to get put a coherent plan. This is going to be a mass- absolutely massive thing. People, A, have to take responsibility mm. and B, somebody has to do it, run it in Mark, a coherent way. We, 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 there's a lot written about this in the papers today. Eilish O'Hanlon has written a piece, Tume should not be reduced to a game of competitive outrage. Uh, <coughs> which he describes as the new craze that we mm-hmm. we hop from one topic to another never finish anything but are outraged by everything and could that be a factor in this? <clears throat> well it clearly is and I mean the, the sad thing about Eilish piece uh, it could have been written at any point in the last uh, 30 years because we have followed uh, this routine on every single major controversy that has happened going back at least to the early 90s if not before it um, a report comes out, uh, outrage, we talk about uh, changing the devil and all and we very rarely, if ever, follow through. And that's part of the problem of the system and it's part of the problem of public attitude that we just don't stick with anything long enough to actually change it. But going back to the terms of reference and last minute changes, those terms of reference were in the works for weeks, if not months, months. within the system. Mm-hmm. It's not an accidental outcome that they were brought to the floor of the doll in as narrow a fashion as they were, they were brought to the door of the doll in that, uh, to the floor of the doll in that fashion, because the system always wants to narrow the ground when it comes to inquiries. That, uh, and, uh, uh, that, are that's we, just an are instinct. We just saying that, are we saying that our politic, the political system is impotent in the face of the public service? Is, is that what we are resigning ourselves to? Because that seems to be what's coming through. That the public service says, you do that, and the politicians say, okay, that's fine. There's a very good deal of that uh, attached to all of this. I mean, these are people acting according to almost to to a genetic disposition, as it were. I mean, this is what the system does. It always closes down uh, debate and it closes down questions. And we've been here on so many occasions. If we'd had proper answers at Oireachtas committees, at uh, uh, Dole questions, uh, half the tribunals that have taken place over the last 30 years would have been unnecessary. Well, there's a very dispiriting, I mean, it's a it's a good read it's a great read uh, Gene Kerrigan's piece in the Sunday Independent today where he re- it's not that he necessarily throws up anything new but he goes by just chronologically um, through the utter entanglement of what is called official Ireland you know the church and state the entanglement and just really goes through bit by one by one at every point at which the the church knew that, that there was serious wrongdoings on in, in homes run by 
the religious. You know, he goes back to a report in 1927, which showed one in three children died. And the report concluded a lot. These, these babies who were in foster care died because maybe payments weren't kept up and the mothers didn't really care. You know, he goes into the point um, back in um, 1986 when... Uh, the Catholic Archbishop of Dublin started talking to lawyers about all the abuse issues that were arise, were arising, and every you know all the Catholic Church, all the different dioceses, quietly took out uh, insurance uh, policies against sex abuse claims. Then you you know he talks about 2002 when the church just went to the government when this blew up and said you know well we're going to fight every single case and we'll make everybody take take a you know take a case against us on a case by case basis unless we come up with some kind of scheme where you pay some we pay some so he goes through it bit by bit so you know and shows at no stage did any of the other official arms official Ireland kind of rear up and say look enough is enough and you know when you and you have this all the way straight through to the present day where you have the now you have and I mean you know you can lump it all in now you have um, the redress schemes back in the news and you have last week you know signed that only a you know a percentage of what was due had, of, of those well, those millions have been paid scheme is the real that's is, really is the, is where the, the real rot outrage. is yeah you know, this is the scheme that Michael Woods, when he was yeah. Minister of Education, did the deal with the religious about how much they'd have to pay. Yes, yeah, on his last day in, Martin, in office. Uh, Michal Martin was in that cabinet. Uh, Bertie O'Hearn was the Taoiseach. They were, again, it goes back to that period in, in uh, between 98 and 2000 when the Gardaí started investigating um, the, the allegations. And it became clear that the, as as Lee says, the, the religious were, which is within their legal rights, of course, going to fight it all the way. A deal was then made between the government and the 18 religious congregations whereby they were indemnified. And that's that's in the law. There's no way around that. That 120, about 120 million was the max that they could pay of the eventual eventual bill. That bill is now 1.5 million. They haven't been compelled to. There have been a couple of agreements with Rory Quinn and others whereby they said, oh, we think we should pay 50-50 here or whatever. And they haven't. So there is no legal co- way of compelling them right now. The, the the religious congregations of paying for this, and they have. It is no exaggeration to say billions of euros worth of assets. But, but the, the, and, the boat has long sailed on this. I know we're we're talking about it again, but there's no point in reopening this because the deal was done. The church got away with it, arguably, that they held on to their money, they moved the money around and the state had to lump up, you and I, the taxpayers, had to pay the compensation that was rightly due to the people who were abused in these. Well, I think we found during the financial crisis uh, at many steps we were told by um, Brian Lenehan, um, Lord Restham, that, you know, this couldn't be done, that couldn't be done. This this phrase was used throughout the financial crisis and those who, 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 of us who covered it, remember. Well, it was legitimate expectation that there were property rights in Ireland. We could not do this. We couldn't touch public service pensions. We couldn't touch public service wages in some instances. That was all done. The executive of a, of a nation state has the power to do anything. Mm. And it has the power to go back to a, a scheme that was signed by another government, a Fianna Fáil government, that was unfair, wrong and detrimental to the taxpayer of this, uh, of this, uh, of the, of this country tear it up and start all over again. If there are billions of euros worth of assets belonging to organisations that have been involved in heinous crimes over a, a sustained period, those assets can be sought by the state. But they're in trusts, they're moved around, they're, they're, they're inaccessible really. I mean, that's, that's the, 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 a lot of the way they can't get at the money. 
and and let's let's go and see how that can can be gotten around. Rory Quinn did get come to some success where he agreed um, um, that they would contribute fifty fifty, and some of that money was increased um, through moral pressure as much as anything mm, okay. else. Well, but, we got some out of it, yeah. but not as much. But <coughs> Mark, I just want to come back to the front page of the Sunday Times, which is the Fenley Commission report, and I I, I touched on it earlier about the the tapping of phones, and mm. this let's not forget was around the time that we lost the Minister for Justice, Alan Shatter, and there were many questions asked about Martin Caldon and the mm. recording. And the, the state was convulsed and we were convulsed that phone calls are being recorded. And now this report is going to come out. It's not going to make much of a blip. So in other words, when we were angry at the time about this and the scandal that, that it was causing the state, when the report comes out, there's barely a murmur. And is, is, is again, that the reason why we are in the state we're in? Well, I mean, let's wait for the final report um, for a start. It is a draft. Uh, it's a report of a draft. So um, there will be there'll be many twists and turns uh, in all of this before uh, there, there's a conclusion. Um, I would have thought if the if the Garda were to wake up this morning thinking that the worst that would come out of this is charges of improper conduct, uh, they'd be quite uh, reasonably pleased uh, in in some ways. I mean, there are there are much wider issues um, um, attached to, to to all of this. And I be honest with you, I think we just need to wait for the full report. And and I just want to finish up it before we move on and to the other topics of the day. What struck me as the saddest part of this week was that. Catherine's opponent stood in the doyle and told them that 474 unclaimed infant remains were transferred from mother and baby homes to medical schools mm. from 1940 to 1965. And we were so immune to this whole scandal that it barely made a ripple. That yeah. the story that on another day would have led every single news bulletin, been on the front of every newspaper fell into the category of also ran. And and that just, I don't know, I don't know what to make of the media for that particular angle, Lisa. Well, I think it's just there's so much to process on this story. I mean, there's there's a huge volume of information and opinion and reaction and angles that people are taking to try to, you know, push their own agenda, whatever. There's an awful lot of, of, of facts to get through. And I think some things that may have passed perhaps without you know necessarily getting the attention they deserved will come will come around again and will be treated with you know will, will be looked at again um so you know it, i think people are just trying to deal with the actual scale and, vol- and size of this story to be honest with you i don't think anyone on this you know is anybody is anybody is treating it with the less respect it deserves it's just there are people are just trying to really mm. just get to grips with it. You know? Okay, and there's lots to get to grips with. And again, the Sunday papers make for quite a grim read. Uh, the Indo has a lot. The Lost Children of Chum is a special that's across page 2, 8, 20 to 25 and 40. So there's no getting away from it uh, in the papers this morning. And there's lots of other things to discuss. Brexit, Theresa May's finger is on the trigger and God love her, she's got an itchy finger. We'll talk about <laughs> Brexit next. And we're going through the Sunday papers this morning with Lise Hand of the Times Irish Edition, Mark Hennessy of the Irish Times and John Lee, the political editor of the Irish Mail on Sunday. And uh, CM on Twitter this morning says, is that the same John Mee who is the god of Irish legal articles pertaining to equity? It's not you, John. No, I no. don't think so. I don't even know what equity means. So I don't, I don't <laughs> well, he was actually, one, it was one of my lecturers in school. You bear a slight uh, resemblance uh, in college rather, but so not, well. not, not quite, not quite. Um, Brexit, um, Mark Hennessy, it is going to happen this week by all accounts and, and Theresa May is, is going to do the deed in, in Brussels. 
Uh, yes, I'm voting the Commons uh, tomorrow and all ministers have been told to, to get back to London and uh, obviously tree-line whips all over the place. And basically they are trying to prevent at the first instance uh, the uh, Commons uh, or to, to get the Commons to overturn the Lord's vote uh, of last week, uh, which would uh, force them to, to give rights to uh, uh, people, li- foreigners living in Britain. So clearly they've got a, a very difficult uh, period ahead. Um once the the trigger happens, uh, they've got two years to negotiate, and the danger from the British side is that the negotiations will fail. And if that happens, then they leave and they have to deal with the Europe with the European Union uh, through WTO tariffs. And if that was to happen from our point of view, it would be an absolute car crash. It's going to be bad anyway, but it's going to, it would be an absolute car crash uh, if it were to happen without a deal. And uh, the difficulty from the British side is that they are seeing everything through their own prism. They are, I mean, the the, the level of tone deafness coming out of London at the moment in terms of realising what other countries need or want out of this process is astonishing. They seem to think that they're the only people at the table. Even in uh, amongst the population. Like you try and explain the concept of a WTO tra- tariff to somebody uh, no, no, in the mainstream in, in ah, yeah, Birmingham, yeah, they have no notion much. Well, to, yeah, about. to be fair, if you were to try to do that anywhere, uh, you have the point is, But the point is, they'd find out very quickly uh, when they started well, to try and buy things on th- Amazon. Well, well, and so they, ha- on. they haven't, curiously, in, in in the last year because they were warned in advance that if they voted, that uh, fire and brimstone would happen. Uh, fire and brimstone hasn't happened. Many of the, the economic figures have been very, very good. Uh, they're beginning to see uh, significant inflation come into the system because of the weakness of sterling. So they're beginning to see a price that's uh, quite heavy uh, uh, food inflation uh, beginning to be seen in British supermarkets. Now the danger, that is a direct consequence of the, the Brexit vote but the, the, the nature of man is that you end up blaming somebody else for it. Uh, there is very little evidence of buyer's remorse uh, happening in Britain uh, and very little evidence that if they were to be faced with the same uh, question tomorrow that they would do anything different. I, I suspect that if they were asked they'd probably do the same again and they do it more strongly. Yeah, probably uh, a higher majority. Yeah. yeah, because people don't like to be told uh, that they're wrong regardless of whether they're Irish, British, French or any other nation. You know, people react uh, badly in those circumstances. Pascal Donoghue's <coughs> reaction according to the of the Sunday Independent Lease is, is we need to cut taxes as part of our Brexit strategy so that uh, people pay less tax. Is, is that uh, part of the uh, the armoury that we're going to go into this with? Well, it's possibly. I mean, I, I suppose the, it's probably just as well for Pascal Dunhu. He's ruled himself out of the um, Fine Gael leadership because that would definitely be seen as a as a the opening shot. Otherwise, those, there is some speculation he really would like to take over from Michael Noonan and this is more to do with that. But um, I think the Irish government are just casting about to see how, you know, how what we need in our armoury because they're hamstrung to a certain extent up to the point when negotiations, the hard talking begins. Now, there is a speculation that Theresa May may actually trigger this uh, this coming Tuesday, all going well. Um, in the House of Commons are all going badly depending on your point of view um, which of course means that Taoiseach will be hit with a barrage of questions um, on Brexit when he's abroad uh, flying the, the shamrock in the States which he hates um, and it also means he's going to have to deal with that you know more or less straight away from abroad because I think things there will once the process kicks off um, we will then see do the government as they have been claiming have exactly a cunning plan Baldrick which they've been promising so all they do have and that all will be revealed once well, It's probably the as cunning as Baldrick's plan which <laughs> never turned out that well <laughs> That's a point um, But th- when, when we find out on that, that 
the, the trigger is pulled. We yeah. we might get an idea of a time frame from the Brits because we we've heard anything from three to ten years. I mean, is is it three years? We're no, in but that's for? not the, that's not within their gift. This is one of the fundamental problems. There are two years that are allowed for negotiations. The negotiation could agree a time frame. But these negotiations could take ages. No, no, no. These negotiations have to be done within two years. In fact, they have to be done within 18 months after the trigger because you have a ratification process that would have to take place in all 28 parliaments on foot of it. So you've effectively got 18 months of clear negotiating time. And when it comes to uh, negotiating something as complex as this, that is effectively trying to do uh, a massive deal over the course of a weekend in in diplomatic terms. It is a nonsense and it it will be shown to be exceptionally difficult. And if you look at... uh, uh, Everybody has a different interest here. The Eastern Europeans have a key interest in ensuring that their citizens who are living in the UK have to be looked after, understandable enough from their point of view. Uh, The Brits uh, uh, threw out a a lot of negotiating capital with the Poles last weekend, or uh, last week when they refused to, uh, or failed to back Tusk in that vote over the European uh, Council presidency. So they, they haven't made... Uh, friends over the last uh, 20 or 30 years where they've got political capital Mm. to try and come back. And this idea that just because the UK has a trade uh, deficit with the European Union and therefore all of the European Union uh, countries are going to negotiate desperately trying to hold on to the sale of German cars in Britain, that isn't the way it works because people will actually make alternative arrangements. And the German automobile industry is aware of the fact and has already publicly accepted that if it comes to German interests versus the automobile industry, that the automobile industry is not going to dictate the pace to Berlin. Mm. And when you, John? When you hear all that lack of certainty, you know, you hear these the government constantly, constantly be forced to trot, trot out their plan and forced to explain to us what they're going to do you know, Mark tells us almost certainly Brexit could be triggered next week and our government is abroad. All of it. Bar Simon Harris, 30-year-old man that he is, is in charge of the country. He's the senior minister here left. But then you look at their plans and they're very woolly and you kind of understand because I, I'm yet to be briefed as to what the government is expected to do. Because you look at these the, the, the uncertainty that surrounds superpowers like Germany, France and Britain and I, I, it's yet to be explained to me what exactly they're seeking to do. Oh, we've got to be have the diplomatic plan and we've got to go around the capitals of Europe and we've got to do this, we've got to do that. I, I think we're up in the air for the next few months, the next few years, as to what exactly little old Ireland is well, expected what, to do, bar not, deal with its border issues with, the, with with Northern Ireland. What's not going to help, of course, is the political uncertainty that we have in Northern Ireland right now. We don't know what's going to be the outcome of the negotiations between the parties. But we also look at the opinion poll that's there this morning, Lise, and I mentioned uh, sweaty collars for the blue shirts. Uh, they won't be happy. That I'm not wrong in saying the last time that Fine Gael fell to third in the polls, uh, behind the Labour Party uh, I was they felt a second in the polls behind the Labour Party at that time Enda Kenny there was a push to get him out now he's on the way out already but this will cause a lot of anxiety amongst Fine Gael. Yes it will I mean I think it's probably nearly a, a sort of a, be, a great poll for Sinn Féin rather than a sort of a terrible poll for Fine Gael. Um, you know I suppose the ongoing uncertainty over the, the, the leadership probably has some effect Um but I think you know it's more a great poll for, for for Sinn Fein. I mean they're they're riding high in the back of the of the uh, the north of the, the northern elections. Um, I think if you look at some of the of the figures in in the poll, Sinn Fein 
have, have actually gained popularity among, amongst women, which is quite interesting, and in Dublin, which will definitely worry uh, Fenegal. That would be, I'd say, a lot of that to do with the Mary Lou <coughs> Macdonald factor. She's been very strong, particularly in recent days, on the whole issues over the June babies and so on. And I think if you drill down as well, I think there's some other interesting figures in the poll that shows that the majority, there's a slim majority of voters would overall voters would prefer uh, Leo Varadkar as a new leader. But when you look then among Fine Gael voters, the ones who are actually going to have a say in the leadership contest, there's a there's a narrow preference for Simon Coveney. So now Fine Gael are going to have to sit down and have a look at this and s- decide, do they follow the will of the sort of the, uh, the voter in general mm. or do they go for who's best uh, in the well, party? Uh, and this all feeds into this sort of, this feeling of inertia that's going on as well. You know, the Fine Gael are too caught up in you know, in their own future and they're taking their eye off the well, Brexit it's ball and so on. It's not going to improve the figure for Fianna Gael if they're having a leadership contest and all of this because they're getting rid of what's perceived to be one unpopular leader to put in another potentially unpopular leader with the wider population, never mind the Fianna Gael cohort. Well, I, I know Lise is part of a, an organisation that has to big up this poll because they paid for it. But um, <laughs> I, I, it, because of the, the, the lack of reality surrounding our political situ- situation right now, it's hard to glean much from it. You know, Fianna Fáil have taken a few bounces almost inexplicably recently and now they, sh- they fall down four. Um, a couple of weeks ago you had talk that Fianna Fáil should go to the country because they're flying high in the polls. Well, you know, if this poll meant anything, what would happen now if they went if they went to the country? Traditionally, Sinn Féin have, at certain cycles of the electoral process, done very well in the polls. But never when it, as, They've never done as well as this, but when it comes But when it comes to the reality of, uh, of um, people voting, they don't always live up to that. That may change. What, what, what we, we learn, if we learn anything from this poll, is that Fine Gael need a new leader and they pretty much need one quick. Um, whether that'll happen quickly, we don't know. We've got an opportunity to ask the Taoiseach next week when he plans on going. It hasn't It hasn't yet been, uh, um, I haven't been assured that he is planning to go as quickly as everybody else um, thinks he is. Some of the people in the party will tell you, Fine Gael party will tell you, that down around those figures that they're at now, 22 in some polls, um, 21, I think this last poll they might have been at 21 the, it's going to be very hard to recover that in, in one electoral cycle that's mm. that's a big problem Fianna Fáil found that when your figures get that low you're looking at shedding quite a few seats But see, the, Again we have to be careful to be reactionary here Mark because uh, Enda Kenny's main reason for hanging around is that he wants to stay uh, for the triggering of Brexit and those important meetings because he realises that uh, that's probably going to be more significant for the, for the future of the state than, than a Fine Gael internal row. And that's the problem here. That's, that's where we come back to this idea that we are reactionary and we deal with things in the short term without thinking of long term. We need somebody to run the bloody country yeah, during a difficult time, not to worry about bloody <coughs> opinion polls. Sorry for cursing twice in quick succession <laughs> on the whole day. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, Every leadership battle. I, I, I noticed some commentary in some papers recently talking about uh, Fine Gael having the most chaotic leadership battle in the history of humankind and all the rest of it. Every leadership battle is a shambles. <laughs> it yeah. has been, they have been shambles <laughs> since the dawn of, of, of politics. And this one is Brian a shambles. Brian Cowens went well, actually. But it, it, look at that turned out. Yeah, but, but the, the, the takeover the, for the, 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 the events prior to it were, 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 not, um, uh, were not well organised. Uh, these things are always a mess and they are simply a thing that you have to get through, get over and hopefully try to bed it down. Timing-wise, uh, it, uh, it is a mess. Um, uh, the Taoiseach 
I think he does want to stay around for the opening of Brexit. He also doesn't want to be seen in a position where anybody is pushing him. And he wants to have uh, the, 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 the psychological sustenance, as it were, of actually leaving to, under his own uh, steam to a certain amount, uh, a degree. Uh, it will be a key what he does uh, after the, the, the Washington meeting and what date he, he puts on it. Does he intend staying around, for instance, to the, the Rome meeting, um, uh, 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 marking the anniversary of the Treaty of Rome? If you start getting into that ty- kind of timescale, then people have start going to get irritable again. So you get a renewed bout mm. of stories about internal crises within Fine Gael, none uh, of which is helpful, obviously. None of which is helpful. Uh, by the way, since we have been talking, David Davis, who has the uh, exciting job of being Brexit Secretary in Britain, has been talking to Andrew Marr on the BBC. You mentioned Baldrick's cunning plan. Uh, they, they have something, <laughs> apparently, if a deal can't be reached with the EU. This is what he's been saying. It's the contingency plan. The aim is to get a good outcome. And we are confident, I'm confident I get a good outcome. Yep. And one of the reasons we don't talk about the contingency plan too much is we don't want people to think, oh, this is what we're trying to do. That's there because we need to have it there for two reasons. One, if, as I think Chris been intimated to you earlier, uh, the, the chairman of the select committee uh, intimated you earlier, you know, it does go wrong for whatever reason. We need to be ready for that and mm. make sure that we're in a, a good position to deal with that. But if, it, if, it, uh, if we get the main outcome, it's actually quite helpful in the negotiation and in the planning for that. For them to know <coughs> that we are planning well, no, for, for no us deal. to know. For us to know. Perfect, for us yeah. to be confident that we, that we don't face, as you say, a cliff edge or something. Now, my favourite cartoon in the last... He actually sounds like Baldrick. This they, is actually really weird. <laughs> my favourite cartoon in the last um, couple of days was, remember the guy who did the interview in the BBC and his kids came crashing yeah. through oh, the door yeah, yeah. and everybody laughed. Yeah. The cartoon was Theresa May in his position and behind him the child was Davis and the one in the, <laughs> and the walker was Boris and, and that kind of summed it up. Yeah. So that's the plan B, Mark. Um, well... As did best any, we could did, find did, out. Did anybody learn they no, are what the no. contingency plan no, is? No, no. So can we have an equally um, non-committal contingency plan in Ireland then? No, well, I mean, I, I, if you look at uh, the Irish plan, um, I think there's, there's a certain amount of, of hysteria going on here. Uh, the idea that Ireland would be in a position to say, these are our th- ten things that we want and these are the priorities in which we want them, um, that uh, is un- utterly unrealistic. You do not enter European Union or, uh, or uh, negotiations with that format. One of the problems from a presentational point of view of the government is that you haven't had the image of the Taoiseach or senior ministers, particularly the Taoiseach, doing the tour of Eastern European capitals where you create a dynamic that there is an Irish diplomatic mission. Now, that is actually uh, presentational to a very large degree. But but there are times in politics when presentation is important and you actually have to create the image of Mm. strong activity. Uh, You can talk as much as you like at core meetings in Brussels, and they've been doing an awful lot of that, but it doesn't give an image to the public at large that somebody is in command of the ship even though in many ways it actually wouldn't add a great deal to uh, the sum of human knowledge. One of the interesting things is if you look at the the House of Commons committees that have been uh, holding sessions on Brexit, they are so far ahead of uh, what we're managing to do in the Oireachtas in terms of quality, in terms of debate, in terms of bringing people in and actually adding to uh, the sum of knowledge. Actually, the problem with the British is that they're not actually listening to some of the stuff that they're garnering. We're not even garnering uh, uh, the information. 
Um, I just uh, before we move off, uh, because with Taoiseach is going as well, he's bringing an entourage, of course, in the back of the uh, Aer Lingus jet. The two you are heading off, John and Lee's are both heading over, are you? We're fortunate enough to go and meet yeah. Donald. Much much as we'd like to see the Taoiseach in action, there's uh, there's only one the, one man we all want to see you, operating you, both there. Both of you could be in in Guantanamo Bay by the end of <laughs> next week. Are you conscious of that? Ah, uh, it's never it's never a real career killer. Yeah, orange is a good colour on me anyway. Yes, they'll deport us. They won't keep us there. Well, orange is orange is the right colour. I mean, it's Trump, yeah. let's face it. It will be fascinating. I mean, it's 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 going to you know have a chance to see to see him in action, and it's quite interesting when Theresa May was over in Dublin a few weeks ago. Some of she had obviously it was a few days after she'd been to the White House, and some of her people were talking to some of the Taoiseach's people, who tipped the Taoiseach's people off that apparently um, Donald Trump was bitching about the Dunbeg Wall to the British Prime Minister. So Hello. I have a fairly, I'd be fairly confident that, you know, the, the you know, the 50,000, you know, Irish living illegally in America mightn't come up. But the dune bag wall is definitely going to be high on his agenda. Yeah, I wonder how Ender's going to react to the handshake where he gets the hand taken off him by Donald as this kind of male Donald Well, I think if anybody has been at the receiving end of one of uh, the Taoiseach's dead arms, I think Donald better do watch, well watch his upper arm. Yeah. This could be like uh, Mayweather versus <laughs> McGregor. It could be well worth watching. Well, Taoiseach in some ways has nothing to lose. So it'll be interesting to see if he, you know, says a few controversial things, particularly in relation to the undocumented. And he's going to be in there straight after Angela Merkel as well, mm. who's probably going to give the... Give him a hard time. So <laughs> it could be fascinating. Again, I look forward to visiting you in prison. Both. Uh, anyway, more to come. Uh, we'll talk about Ireland's fantastic victory over Wales in the rugby. Not the men, obviously. Uh, Richie McCormick of Off the Ball is with us. Good morning, Richie. How are you doing, Jonathan? Uh, the papers are riddled with uh, sports coverage on the, the uh, rugby last night. Obviously. Yeah, on Friday night. Uh, Friday still, night f- still feels like it should have been yesterday. Yeah, well, yeah, yesterday was better because the the ladies beat Wales twelve seven. They did. Uh, Hannah Tyrrell and the uh, superwoman that is Lindsay Pete, who can uh, pretty much play any sport that she turns her hand to. Uh, great Gaelic footballer and uh, great soccer player as well as Lindsay and scored a bunch of the tries yesterday. As did Hannah Tyrrell, who's gotten a few important tries during the course of this campaign. So Ireland set up nicely for a Grand Slam decider against England uh, next Friday. Um, so fingers crossed that will start off what will be or could be a pretty depressing weekend from an Irish point of view uh, on something of a high. We're playing for pride. Uh, yeah, yeah, we are playing for pride really. And we're playing for a sense that we do belong in the top three of this six nations because there's an awful lot to suggest that perhaps maybe we don't, especially this year, because there's sides we should have put away, uh, like Wales, like Scotland, that we didn't. And England are coming off the back of 18 consecutive victories, 17 of those under Eddie Jones. Their tails are up and they're acting like schoolyard bullies. They can beat whoever's put in front of them at the moment. And unfortunately, we could be the next sides to suffer at their hands. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what is coming up on Off the Ball today? Uh, we'll start off with the pay-per-view. Paul Kimmage is in. He's going to be alongside Clean of Foley. There's plenty to, sift, plenty to sift through. Loads of Cheltenham previews, loads of reaction to Friday night as well and then our live game will be Liverpool-Burnley Okay, very good Richie McCormick thank you very much for that on the way of course from 12 midday off the ball uh, Mark Hennessy Lee's Hand and John Lee have been going through the newspapers with me this morning uh, and um, Mark the story about the post office is is one that's going to run for quite some time uh, 200 post offices face closure according uh, to the reports in today's papers and it would appear that the uh, on post for what they are saying want to go a little bit further uh, 
um, than, than the reports that uh, Bobby Kerr, I think, was working on. Yeah, well, whatever is going to happen, uh, you are not going to have 200 post offices closing with a government formation, the like of which we have now, or the one that we're likely to have next time round with Fine Gael, or with Fianna Fáil taking over from Fianna Fáil uh, in, in lead position. Um, so there's going to have to be some other uh, solution found uh, to all of this, because politically that could not be sold, even though um, there, uh, the post offices to some extent have become totem poles uh, in uh, rural Ireland. Uh, there is a very strong argument whereby some of these would be uh, incorporated into convenience stores, as uh, on post uh, is arguing it does make sense. That, that makes perfect yeah. sense and you know? you've seen this in places around the country whereby you would have had the standalone post office with the elderly postmistress yeah. who saw maybe uh, three people an hour and they move that into the nearby shop and it makes, and it yeah. makes perfect sense. It does yeah and and you know parts of the argument about rural Ireland and I'm from rural Ireland so I would claim to know something about what I'm talking about um, you know you see the, the shops closing in rural Ireland and somebody will always turn around and say to you they're closing in our shop the only people who's closing the shop are the people in the community who don't shop in it yes you know and people driving 20 miles to drive to the nearest alley in little if you want local services they have to be supported by people that comes at a cost and clearly, uh, in a difficult time, people are going to be unable to, to pay that cost. And this is going to send up the flare, John, isn't it, uh, for, for rural TDs? I mean, Matty McGrath won't stand for this amongst many others, the idea that you'd close a single post office. Yeah, I think I think a few of them are postmasters as well. Um, I, I know the Healy Rays, and I'm almost sure the Healy Rays, I'm sure the Healy Rays, Robert Troy may have been a postmaster as well in the past, if in the fall, from Bencher. So... They are they are clued into the necessities surrounding a post office, and it is part of, as Mark says, that they, they become totem poles. But it's part of this gradual attack on rural Ireland for a variety of reasons. And you know, the, the, these these issues have reared their heads in, in the Brexit vote and in the United States as well, where certain rural communities across the globe are feeling left out. You have the you have the pub closing, pubs closing in many towns around Ireland. You have the sh- you have shops going. I drop in uh, in our job. You you tra- you traverse uh, rural Ireland quite often. My f- my parents are both from rural Ireland as well, so I spend some time down there as well. But sometimes we're you, dro- get, you drop. We're all getting the culture credentials yeah, in you, here this no, morning. Le- Lee's no, saying no, 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 no. I spend no, my time dumb. in motorways. <laughs> in fairness, and I dro- I I just dropped into a town recently. I won't name it that I hadn't been in in years off the motorway to get myself a sandwich and I was just shocked at how it had collapsed in that time. It used to be on, it'd be unfair to say what town it is, it used to be on the old uh, Waterford to uh, to Dublin road and everything's gone. Suddenly in the space of about five years the motorway kicked in and the pubs have closed, coffee shops have closed uh, and it's, one one is now searching for a... um, a social focus in many of these towns. There were things, if you go back to 2002, 2003 again, there was huge controversy over the drink driving laws and it's no one is ever arguing that they, they, sh- they shouldn't have been tackled in the way they were. But I, again, I'll be corrected in this. I seem to remember when Noel Dempsey brought in those those very strict European laws in 2002. There, was a prom- there were promises of rural transport schemes and pretty comprehensive rural uh, transport schemes which never no, happened not sure that never and happened. you know it's those <laughs> promises that went with the, the the actions that have led to big problems for rural Ireland in general uh, One listener on text Lee's um, a very astute uh, listener saying if step aside post office is going to be closed should yeah. there be a good chance that it be reopened at the current <laughs> session Funny <laughs> enough I was actually <laughs> that thought was going through my head um, you know if exactly if uh, if 
if such a thing was was to happen, then there'll be everybody up, up, up in arms going, that's Parish Pump politics and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, you know, like John, I do, would travel a lot to um, around, you know, sort of right across the country on, on jobs and, you know, on, on very, to cover various things and so on. And you do see villages that are just and small towns that are just have, have died and continue to, to, to die. And I think that the trouble is that a lot of the plans put forward tend to be one size fits all. Um, they look at, you know, rural Ireland as a sort of a block as opposed to different areas that might need or benefit from different schemes, you know, on their location. Are they on the coast? Are they midlands? Are they in good agricultural area? Could, you know, industries be developed? So I think there's a tendency to sort of to try and have a one size fits all plan rather than taking areas and saying, mm. well, what can we do? You know, is there good connectivity? Can we improve the broadband? You know, you start with just the actual basics. Yes, well, I think, again, with this report, we're all focusing on the negatives that are in it. I'm sure there are positives in the report when we get our hands on it that we'll be able to read as well. But we'll, we'll park it there for now. Uh, John Lee and Lee's hand. Enjoy America Thank when you, you were there. Got Trump. Bring you back a hat. Yes, do indeed. And uh, enjoy the glitz and glamour and gold that is now uh, festooning the White House. Uh, Mark Hennessy, who's fed up with the White House because he went He's there so many times over the years. Uh, you'll be staying board. here in Dublin as well. Thank you all for joining us.